So before I share what is on my heart today, I would like to read a portion of scripture, which may be for somebody here. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now there's nothing wrong wrong with that. But Jesus did not support it. He said to a man who appointed me as a judge or arbitrator over you, Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Is it greed to ask for your rightful inheritance which your father left for all the children? Yes, it is. For not even when one has an abundance, not even when you have an abundance does your life consist of your possessions. There are very few Christians who believe that their life does not consist in their possessions. Ask yourself whether you think your life is in your possessions. Then he spoke of a rich man who land was very productive, was getting a lot of profit, and he said, well, I'll do something more, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will say to my soul in verse 19, Soul, you got many goods now. Relax, eat, drink and be merry because you got goods laid up for many years to come. You don't have to live from day to day anymore. And God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. Who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And then he said, For that, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. For life is more than food, not what you eat or drink. Consider the ravens, verse 24. <coughs> they don't neither sow nor reap. Think of all the birds in the world, they they don't sow, they don't reap, they have no barns. And yet, when was the last time you saw a dead bird on the ground? I can't even remember. You are more valuable than birds if God feeds them. And which of you, by worrying, can add one hour to the span of your life that God has planned. You can't even add one hour. And that's a very little thing to add one hour. And if you can't do that, why worry about other matters? Look at the lilies and how they grow and toil and spin. God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace. How much more he will clothe you Oh, you men of little faith. So don't keep on seeking what you eat or what you drink. 
And don't keep worrying. Is that for someone? Don't keep worrying. For all these things, the nations of the world seek. Your Father knows that you need these things. It's a great comfort to know that your Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. But you seek His kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. And so, this final word. Don't be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That's a word laid on my heart for somebody. I don't know who. So I want to turn what was what I want to share with you today. It says in Psalm 25. I'll begin here. Psalm 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord or the secrets of the Lord are revealed to those who fear him. Fear means reverence him. Fear has got many different meanings today. Fear means you're afraid. But here the meaning is reverence. I feel among Christians there is very little reverence for God. Respect for Him as we respect so many civil authorities. We respect the police. We even respect a stoplight when it is red. Small thing like that. But respect for God when He puts a red light and says, don't ever do this. Or when he gives a green light saying, go now. That's respect. Respect is when God tells you, stop in your conscience. Don't do that. It's a red light. You stop. And some other time he prompts you. Go and ask forgiveness from that person. It's a green light. You shouldn't stop. You must go right ahead and do it. As soon as the light turns green, we rush in our cars. When God tells you to do something, do you rush like that? Do you rush to ask forgiveness from somebody you hurt? As soon as God says, do that, could be to your husband or your wife. You said something, maybe accidentally or quickly in a moment of Irritation. God's green light is there. Go and ask forgiveness. And we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. You'd never do that on the roads. You'd have so many cars behind you honking and getting upset with you. That's what I mean by saying that I think there are very few Christians who really reverence God, that they would respect His authority that they would act immediately. That when he tells them to stop, he'll stop. As they are going to do something, and the Lord says, don't do that, they stop, turn around and go back. Dear brother, sister, seek to be like that. It's one of the first things the Lord taught me when I was 
converted as a young person not to be like other believers around me in the church i was attending it was a born again group of born again believers but i found they didn't have a reverence for god and i was never taught in that church to do immediately whatever god says and to stop immediately when god tells you to not do something but i thank god that god taught me through his word and so i followed what god's word says even if people around me were not doing it i got very little teaching from that first church i attended from those who were the preachers there so sometimes when you go to you, you should be very thankful that you're in a church like this boy you should go and attend some of these other churches and then you'll know i don't know how many of you are really deeply thankful to god that he's brought you to a church where week after week you can hear god's pure unadulterated word don't take that for granted i've been in many churches and i tell you that you can't hear it but here we hear it so regularly it's like children you know they get good food on the table regularly week after day after day after day after day and they are not thankful to their parents who've taken the trouble to provide that food i come from a country where regularly regularly i see small children going to garbage bins to pick out food that is thrown there leftovers to eat yeah i've seen depths of poverty i've never been like that myself but i've seen it and that's taught me to be very thankful for any little thing i have to eat and i've taught my children be thankful for what you have because there are many people in the world who don't even get that we must teach our children to be thankful for what god's provided to reverence god is a is the first step the it says the is the beginning of wisdom in proverbs 9 the reverence for god is the beginning of wisdom so who's going to teach that wisdom to our children parents it's just like to me that is like the kindergarten lesson you, you children go to kindergarten then they are taught a b c the alphabet they are taught c a t is cat and b a t is bat and 2 plus 2 is 4 that's where they start and if you don't start there don't despise it because if you don't learn the alphabets and you don't learn a b c d you can't go to the higher class you go to the higher class you'll find it very difficult to understand because you haven't learned the alphabet that's the problem i've seen with many christians who sit for so many years even in some of our cfc churches you know people who have come in much later who haven't understood the vision we had at the beginning and you never see much progress in their life they're at the same level i mean they don't commit any crime there's no progress would you be happy if your child came up to the second grade and got 100% you'd be delighted 
But after 10 years, if you're still in the second grade, getting 100%, you won't be happy. Boy, you should be in the 12th grade by then. So the fact that we're not doing anything wrong at a second grade level, you can say, my conscience is clear. I'm getting 100%. But have you got more light on the things that God wants? Or are you the same level as you were 10 years ago? Not doing anything wrong. The clear conscience. Well, <clears throat> you may go to heaven when you die. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. I believe you'll have a lot of regret throughout eternity. When you see, when you see your Savior, when you see Jesus face to face, and you see what a tremendous price He paid to save you from loving yourself. That's what sin is. Sin is to love yourself. And that's why we get offended when somebody doesn't love me as I love myself. Doesn't respect me as I think he should or she should. So many conflicts between husbands and wives. We we don't receive the respect we think we deserve. It was a great day in my life when I discovered that I deserve zero respect from human beings. I was a sinner saved by grace. I had no right to expect anyone to respect me. Not even as a servant of God. Because my Savior got no respect. He was crucified outside the camp with no respect. And the Bible tells we had to follow him outside the camp bearing his reproach. So, I want to encourage all of you to seek God to learn to respect and reverence God because that is the beginning of wisdom. See, ABC. And God, it says here, God reveals his secrets. You know, we don't tell our secrets to everybody. We tell many things to our children. But things that are really secret, very, very, very important secrets, you may only tell your wife or your husband. You cannot allow children to know secrets. They are not mature enough to know it. There are many things that are not secrets. Christ died for the sins of the world. That's not a secret. Not at all. So many people know that. Christ rose up from the dead. It's not a secret. It's like ABC. Christ is coming back in glory. It's not a secret. It's like ABC. It's like 2 plus 2 is 4. Kindergarten lesson. But there are secrets which the Lord whispers in the ears of those who, it says here, those who reverence Him. Have you heard the Lord teach, telling you things which, I'll tell you one of the results of hearing such secrets it lift your life to a much higher plane of Christian living than you have known. I remember for many years I was defeated by discouragement, anger, dirty thoughts. I couldn't get victory. I followed the routine of most Christians. Sin, confess your sin, get forgiven, sin again, get forgiven, get discouraged again, ask God to forgive you. And then sometime later, get discouraged again. Ask God to forgive you. 
It was an endless cycle. Now, it may be some other sin in your life where you keep on going round and round. Does God forgive? Yes. There are only two conditions for forgiveness. For many years, I used to preach only one. <laughs> 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us. That's the only scripture I preached. But as I got more light, as I began to hear the secrets of the Lord, I found there was one more condition which many people don't preach. One is 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he's, God will forgive us. The second is in Matthew 6 verse 14. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. And verse 15, if you don't forgive others, he will not forgive you. I have never heard that preached in a church. That there are two conditions for God to forgive your sin. One is you must confess it to the Lord. And second is you must forgive everybody who hurt you. Have you heard it? You probably heard it in this church, but nowhere else. Why is that? Why is something so plainly spoken by Jesus not proclaimed more loudly? I'll tell you why. The devil wants a lot of people to be with him in hell. That's why. And a lot of people sitting in Christian churches are going to be with the devil in hell for eternity for one reason. They haven't forgiven somebody. Did they confess their sin to the Lord? Yes, they did. They confessed every sin to the Lord. And they thought they were forgiven, but they forgot what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14. If you, 15, if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive you. Now that's not written for unbelievers. For un, if it was written for unbelievers, the word Jesus used would have been God, not Father. Then it would have been, if you don't forgive others, others God will not forgive you. No, it's not. That's to unbelievers, to His children, to born again children. They are the only people on earth who can call God their Father. And to them, Jesus says, "Your Father, I know you're born again. Your Father." will not forgive you. And then you die like that. Where will you go? Where will you go? There's no purgatory like Catholics teach that after you die, you'll go somewhere and God will cleanse you. There is no such thing. Hebrews 9.27 is very clear. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, Judgment. There's nothing in between death and judgment. Hebrews 9.27 Once you die, judgment. So when you die, you've died without forgiving somebody. And Matthew 7.15 says, Your father will not forgive you. And you died like that. Do you know the number of people who died without forgiving somebody? Jesus once said, to whom more is given, more will be required. You know that verse. To whom less is given, less will be required. It's a principle with God. He will not demand something from you if he has not taught it. And after the day of Pentecost, 
the level that the Lord says is, you must not only confess your sin, you must forgive others as well. Now that was not true before the day of Pentecost. Before the day of Pentecost, God allowed so many things. For example, I'll show you. I mean, we need to understand what new covenant is. It brings us to a tremendous responsibility to be in the New Testament. Let me give you one example. There's something that God has always hated. Always hated. Many things. But one of the things he says I hate it is divorce. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. God says, I hate divorce. And the one who covers up that sin with wrong and deals treacherously with his wife or husband. I hate divorce. And yet, we read in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, no, and in the law of Moses, a husband was permitted to divorce his wife if he didn't like her in something. She could go and marry another man. And that's what the the Pharisees came to Jesus once and said in Matthew 19, verse 3, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus, Jesus said, Don't go to the law of Moses. I know in the law of Moses, go before the law of Moses to Genesis chapter 1. He created them male and female. There is no third sex, by the way. It's just male and female. You want to know the truth, go to Genesis 1. And therefore, because he made them male and female and God united them, therefore a man must leave his father and mother be joined to his one wife and they two shall be one flesh. Then they are no longer two but one. And if God has joined them together, they should not be separated. Verse 6. Then they asked him, Why then did Moses give tell people to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? That was also God spoke through Moses. And here is the reason. Whenever you read the Old Testament, please remember, there are many things God permitted in the Old Testament because of the hardness of your heart God permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning Genesis 1 it was not like that. So if anyone divorces his wife except for immorality marries another woman he commits adultery. Okay. So because of the hardness of your heart There are many things God permitted. It is not his perfect will, but he permitted it. I'll give you one example of it. If you turn to the first book of Kings. First Kings and chapter 2. 
when David was going to die, remember David was a man after God's own heart. He sinned and he asked forgiveness in Psalm 51. But when he was dying, in, in David's life at one time, there was a relative of the previous king, Saul, who was very angry that Saul was dethroned and David became king and came one day and cursed David when David was running away from his son Absalom. And Absalom had become king or tried to become king. And that was the time when this man Shimei was so happy. He said, ah, and he went and cursed David as David was running away. But Absalom was killed and David came back. And then Shimei was scared. He said, what will David do to me now? So he came and fell at David's feet and said, please forgive me. I'm sorry for what I said. David said, you're forgiven. And I won't do anything to you. But now when David is dying, he calls Solomon Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I'm going to go the way of all the earth. Keep the charge of the Lord. Walk in his ways, verse 3, and keep his commandments and his testimonies and all that. But I want to tell you something. Verse 8. You know that guy Shimei who cursed me? He cursed me with a violent curse one day. But then he came back and repented. 1 Kings 2 verse 8, And I swore to him, I will not put you to death. But Solomon, you didn't make that promise, right? It's only I who made that promise. Make sure you kill him. His hair is gray, but let that hair go down to hell with blood. The next sentence, David died. He didn't forgive him. Where is David today? Is he in heaven or hell? Where do you think? Yeah. Because of the hardness of his heart, God did not expect from him what he expects from people who are born again. There's a, don't think God judges people in the Old Testament with the same standard as he judges in the New Covenant. A kindergarten student may be permitted to make mistakes in multiplication, but a college student will not be permitted. Yeah, that's the difference between an Old Covenant person and a New Covenant person. So, I believe it's a very serious thing, and more and more, especially in the last one year, the Lord has been emphasizing on my heart to keep on emphasizing everywhere I go, frequently in my messages, teach my children to forgive others completely and always to live with a heart that is clear, that can say before God, I have forgiven everybody. I have forgiven my wife. I've forgiven my husband, I've forgiven my mother-in-law, I've forgiven my father-in-law, I've forgiven my brother-in-law, I've forgiven all those people who cheated me on my property, I've forgiven 
bosses who hurt me in my place of work. Every person, I've forgiven all those people who did so much harm to me. And I've forgiven the people who did harm to my children. Oh, when I saw my children suffer, when the way some teacher or somebody else hurt them, boy, was I angry, but I've forgiven them. My brothers and sisters, that's how we are to live. And I will not be saying that if I don't live like that. You may say people have not done much harm to you. I'll tell you. I'm a servant of the Lord. I've been serving the Lord for 57 years. You think the devil has left me alone? You think the devil will leave somebody alone like me who's preaching the whole counsel of God? Not at all. He's attacked me more than he's attacked any of you. Because you've not gone around the world preaching the whole counsel of God like me. The devil hates me like anything. But I, I, I hate him, but I'm not afraid of him. No, he cannot touch me. John Wesley used to say, I am immortal until I have finished my life's work. I believe that. If we do God's will, we are immortal until we finish the work God has given us to do. Jesus was immortal till he finished his life's work. And so is everyone whose life is yielded to Christ completely to say, Lord, I desire nothing on earth but to do the will you planned for me before I was born. I've been greatly gripped by the fact, which I've often quoted this verse in Psalm 139. These are the most important things in life. There's so many things in scripture, taught in scripture, but I want to emphasize the most important things. Psalm 139, a verse that I've frequently quoted. Verse 16. Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And he mentions in verse 13 about God weaving him inside his mother's womb. You know, it's from a very small seed inside the mother's womb that God made us into the human being we are. And more wonderful than the body is the soul, the mind, the brilliant mind God has given us. And more wonderful than that, the spirit that can listen to God. And God wove it. And when I was inside my mother's womb, and this applies to you as well, God had written down all the days ordained for me, verse 16, when I was not even born. So the length of my life in God's plan was determined before I was born. And for every wholehearted, I repeat, wholehearted child of God who lives by God's laws, who forgives everybody and wants only to do God's will in life, whose aim in life is to please God and not to make money. There's nothing wrong in making money, but that shouldn't be your aim. That should be a sort of a byproduct that happens while you are serving God and living for Him. For every such person, he's immortal until his life's work is done. And his longing should be, Lord, that plan you made, not just the number of days I live on earth, but you made a plan for my life, what I should do on each of those days. I want to do that. Now, I think 
very few people, I can't say that I've lived like that from the time I was born again because nobody taught me this. I wish somebody had taught me when I was 19 and a half years and I was born again. I wish somebody had drilled this into my head. Do you know God's got a plan for your life? Seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, otherwise you'll never fulfill it. And seek every day to please Him and reverence God and fear God and forgive everybody and don't let one day go by where you're not forgiven others. And seek God's will in your life and fast and pray and seek God's will. Somebody taught me that to start my Christian life that and live every day like that. Boy, what a different life it would have been. But I discovered those things much later. Because I had to discover them myself. I didn't have a brother, a person. I never had a spiritual father who could tell me, this is how you should do it. This is how you should do it. This should, and who would pull me up if I didn't live like that. Timothy had someone like that, you know. Paul was there to pull him up. When he, you read in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, when Timothy is 45, 50 years old, Paul is telling him, hey Timothy, run away from lustful thoughts. The guy's been following Paul for 20 years. Paul says, yeah, you got to be careful with lustful thoughts, even if you're 50 years old even if you've been with me for 20 years. That's what kept people like Timothy seeking God because Paul was always challenging him to the highest. But I thank God at least sometime in my life I discovered it, that God had a plan for my life and it wasn't too late. I believe I could still come into that plan. You know, I, I used to think, how can I come into that plan when from the age of 19 to the age of 35, I was born again, but I was in this endless cycle of sin and ask God to forgive you, sin and ask God to forgive you, sin and I, not external sins. I wasn't going around murdering or committing adultery or anything, just, you know, the usual sins that all believers commit. Some wrong attitude, some wrong thought and accidentally wrong words and you don't ask forgiveness or you do ask and you get forgiven and again go back to the same old cycle. I was in that cycle, a normal believer, but not living according to God's will every day. But I said, Lord, how can I fulfill God's will if so many years of my life I never knew the truth and I was living like this? And the Lord comforted me from the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul lived up to the age of 67, approximately, we now think. And at the age of 67, he said and made an amazing statement. I want you to listen to this. It's a great encouragement. This man who the first 30 years of his life, he didn't just disobey God. He was killing Christians. He was actually killing God's children and imprisoning them and torturing them in every possible way. Worse than any of us sitting here. We haven't gone around torturing Christians. Oh. Paul was a unique example of one who lived in such terrible sin. Guilty of murder. I don't know what else. But he does say in in one Romans chapter 7, it says, when it came to lusting, he says in Romans 7, when I was seeking victory over sin, I found within me lusting of every type. Have you read that in Romans 7? He's such an honest man. Such an honest man. I found in myself lusting of 
every type. And when I read the scripture, I shouldn't lust. I was just thoroughly defeated. That man, he came to a life of such victory that he says in 1 Corinthians 4, I know nothing against myself. What a life he came to. That I'm not aware of any conscious sin I'm committing. A man who lived like that could come to such a place. You read that in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4 to 6. Amazing what God could do. And God filled him with the Holy Spirit and he took up the cross every day. He came to such a life which has been a challenge to me. It's a challenge to you. Dear brother, sister, you can come to that life. Anyway, at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, he says in verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. Not from day one. Not from day one. After he was 30 years old. He fought a good fight. Wasted 30 years of his life. But he began to fight a good fight after that. And therefore I have finished my course. That's the thing that challenged me. That a man who wasted 30 years of his life. God had planned this Paul's life from the day he was born. And I'm sure in God's plan it was not that he should kill Christians. No. That he should imprison Christians. That was not in God's plan. You know Psalm 139. When before I was born God wrote down all the days of my life. And what did God write in Paul's life? He had some other plan, but the guy didn't follow that plan for 30 years. And then suddenly he gets converted. And for the last 37 years, for the last 60% of his life, 40% of his life is gone. For the last 60% of his life, he seeks to live according to God's will. But he still says, I've finished my God's plan. That's the thing that puzzled me. For Jesus to say at the age of 33, Father, I've finished the work you gave me to do in John 17. That I can understand. But for Paul to say, I finished with the plan God had for me, that really puzzled me. I said, Lord, how is that? And there are a couple of great verses. One of my favorite verses is Acts 17. I quote it to all people who have messed up their life. All who, are, who have messed up their life, this is the verse I quote to them. I know it's comforted me. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. God overlooks our times of ignorance and now tells people, from now on, repent. And then one day, verse 31, he will judge the world. I thank God that he overlooks, he overlooked 30 years of Paul's life. All right, Paul, you are ignorant. I overlook it. But from the time you came to know the truth, I'm glad, Paul, that you took it seriously. But with many of you, that may, even that may not be true. How long have you been in this church? You know. Maybe in other churches you never heard the word of God so strong and so directly as you have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you here. Where people have spoken without fear or favor. But after coming here and hearing the truth, 
Have you taken it radically, at least from then? Or have you you been living in that old cycle again? Well, brother, sister, I don't want to condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. There is no condemnation in Christ. I would urge you, at least today, begin. And say, Lord, I want to take a serious decision today. I'm so weak that I don't know whether I can keep that resolution even for one day. You know, these people who take New Year's resolutions. I'll be disciplined in my eating. How long does it last? Maybe till January 10th. Or I'll be disciplined in asking forgiveness immediately. How long does that last? Seven or eight days. How many New Year's resolutions have you taken? All to teach you what Jesus taught. Without me, you can do nothing. That's one of the greatest lessons I learned in my life after becoming a Christian. What Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, Without me, you can do zero. You cannot do a single thing that will please me without me. That's why for me, my favorite definition of faith is what Jesus said there. The branch abiding in the tree. As the branch abides in the tree, so you abide in me. So my definition of faith is, you see an apple tree or a vine or mango trees in India, any fruit bearing tree, the fruit is in the branch as long as the branch sticks in the vine in the, the sticks in the trunk of the tree and allows the sap to flow in. So to me, faith is helplessly depending upon Jesus for forgiveness. Every time I preach, I say, Lord, I'm like this branch. I have nothing to say. If the sap keeps flowing, I'll have something worthwhile to say. Otherwise, I'll just waste people's time. Let the sap keep flowing through me. Help me. And in everything else in life, in your place of work, when difficulties come, I say, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. That's what you should say. When you find a difficult situation in your work or in your family or with a difficult child, you say, Lord, I don't know how to handle this, but I am going to be like the branch in the tree. I believe the sap that will come flowing according to my need. Your need may be different from that of another family. But it doesn't make a difference. God knows your particular need. And it's a very simple life that the Lord calls us to. Helpless dependence upon the Lord. What can that branch do? Even if it has 50 years of experience bearing fruit, if it's cut off today, it's as useless as any other broken branch. 50 years of experience is no use. If you're not still abiding in the vine. I've been born again for 65 years nearly. 64 years. But I say, if I'm cut off, I'm just as useless as I was 64 years ago. 
It's like that branch in the tree. It doesn't matter how many years it has borne fruit. If it's cut off today, it'll bear no more fruit. Please remember that our Christian life is like that. Like a branch in a tree. It's a beautiful picture. That's helped me tremendously in many areas of my Christian life. That is faith. You know, the Bible speaks so much about having faith. Have faith, have faith. And I used to think in the early days, what does this mean? I tried my best to understand faith, understand it, and study the Bible, and claim this and claim that promise, and claim that, you know, the Pentecostals say, claim this and claim this, and it'll be yours. I tried claiming everything. It didn't work. It's not an intellectual thing. I was trying to intellectually understand faith. It's not that. It is more a heart thing. That's why Jesus spoke about a baby being the greatest in God's kingdom. What is a, what is a baby? Baby is absolutely helpless. It can't feed itself. It can't clothe itself. It can't go to the toilet on its own. It can't get up. It can't sit down. It can't do a thing. And the Lord said, you're like that. That's the greatest in God's kingdom. I said, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. That I can't overcome sin. I'm like that baby. Tell that baby to get up and sit up. No, I can't do it. Tell me to overcome sin and overcome this lust and that lust. Lord, don't tell me to do it. I can't do it. But I will trust you. Just like I, that baby trusts its mother to lift it up. And I love, love this verse. It's almost, I, I also felt the Lord gave it to me personally. Isaiah 49.15. It's in your Bible. But sometimes I find some verses the Lord brings home to our heart. Saying that's for you. I hope the Lord will bring this verse to your heart today. And the Lord say this is for you. Isaiah 49.15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? This is a real baby. A baby in the cradle. Maybe one day old. Can't eat, can't drink, can't dress itself, can't do a thing. Can a mother, mother a good mother, will, will the mother, good mother forget such a child? He says, and have no compassion when that baby is crying for milk or crying because its diapers are dirty or crying for anything. Will a compassionate mother, no matter how weak or how sick she is, will she forget? No. And the Lord says, even they may forget. But I will not forget you. I thank God for that word. It was a personal word which I took from the Lord for myself. There are words like that, you know, you read sometimes and God says, that's for you. Please take it, my brothers and sisters, all of you who are insecure or feeling I can't do much. Can a mother forget her baby, newborn baby? Even she may forget, but I will not forget you. Please remember that. Let that comfort you all through your life. And, you know, when we get old and become weak, and we wonder how it will be then. Then a few years ago, the Lord gave me this verse. Isaiah 46. And the Lord said, this is for you. Isaiah 46 verse 4, I may may not apply to all of you yet, but one day you'll need it. 
even to your old age, Isaiah 46.4, I will be the same. As you were when you were a baby, to your old age I'll be the same. And your hair gets gray and white, I will carry you. I carried you when you were, uh, verse 3, I carried you when you were born. From your birth, from your womb I carried you. And to your old age, I'm going to be the same. To your gray hairs, I'll bear you. I've done it. And I will carry you. I will bear you. I will deliver you. (laughs) What more do you want? I thank God that I have a printed Bible. I feel sorry for the, I don't know how it was for those Christians in the first century who never had a printed Bible for 14 centuries, there were no printed Bibles. Maybe God spoke to them in other ways, I suppose, because I'm sure his children, maybe in more supernatural ways, but to us, I've got this and I know this is God's word. And he says in verse 5, whom can you liken me to? Is there anybody who's my equal? No, Lord. I'll tell you one of the results of taking these promises, it has brought me into a very intimate relationship with Jesus. That's the greatest thing in life. You know, sometimes people hear me preach, and I've seen that in India, in our churches, they want to preach like me. I said, don't ever seek for that. God needs only one Zach Poonin. He wants one of you, one of each person. So don't ever try to imitate me or preach like me. You be yourself. But these promises are for you. And God's got a plan for your life from the day you were born. And He'll carry you. He'll care for you. So treat other people. Let me conclude with this. Treat other people the way God is treating you. Okay? If God has been good to you beyond what you deserve, be good to the people around you beyond what they deserve. Be good to your husband, to your wife, beyond what they deserve. Because God has been good to you beyond what you deserve. And some of those rebellious children of yours, be good to them. That's that's how you'll draw them into the kingdom. Be good to the people around you. Be good to the people who have hurt you and harmed you. To people who have robbed you and taken advantage of you. Many people have done harm to me in my life. Not not one of it has actually harmed me. They tried to harm me. Couldn't. They couldn't. God made it work for good. This is my greatest example. What is the worst thing that ever happened on this earth? Worst, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Next question. What is the best thing that ever happened on this earth? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What does that teach you? I know what it's taught me. That God took the worst thing that man could do and the devil could do and turned it into the best thing for all of humanity. So I can put that to myself. What is the worst thing that people can do to me? Or what is the worst thing people have done to me? 
I found many times God's turned it around to be the very best for my spiritual life and growth to get to know God better. Let's, let's pray. And to begin with, forgive. As God forgave you. Anybody who comes to your mind that you're not forgiven right now, Say, Lord, it's just one word to the Lord. Lord, I forgive that person and I forgive that person and the other person and the other person and all the people I don't even know, I forgive them because you've forgiven me so much and help me to live like this, Lord, that I don't have to repeat this. I want to live like this all my days. And help me to trust you, Lord, like the branch in the tree, always, that every need of mine, you'll always supply all that's needed. I don't have to fear that my children will run short of anything later on in life. I don't have to fear sickness. I don't have to fear poverty. I don't have to fear anything. To my old age, you will carry me. Let man forsake me, God will not. This is how we are to live, my brothers and sisters. And you'll find it is true that if you trust him, he'll do more than you can ask or think. Heavenly Father, make these things real in our lives so that we shall be living testimonies till the end of our life on earth, however long we live, that there is a loving Father in heaven who cares and provides and takes care and honors those who honor him. Make us living testimonies to that, everyone in this church, and make the testimony of this church a powerful witness like a bright lamp Shining here, Lord, that will draw people to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.